you can edit this one from the inside looking out. It's it's funny, isn't it? I th- I thought we were making this podcast up, but they were telling me what things, films to watch, what things to say, making it real. And now all those horrible, slimy things are trying to get back out. All those things. They're all true. Even true, false what things is, are true. <laughs> what is also true is that this is episode 40 of Ribbon of Memes, a podcast where we interrogate films previously described by other Dreamweavers as masterpieces. Uh, I am Nick, and I am joined by the possibly or possibly not fictional Roger. Oh, I think I probably made you up. <laughs> that seems what I am quite an improbable person, <laughs> all in all. Um, we are in 1994, and we are taking a deep, uh, spoilerific dive, um, as I always forget to point out, um, into John Carpenter's um, possible masterpiece, In the Mouth of Madness. And mm. you might think, what, a, a small-budget film that didn't win many awards and isn't in the top ten, and we'll, we'll come back to why we picked this later on when we see some okay, of the competition. I was wondering about whether to say it now, but yeah, um, we'll, uh, we'll, um, we'll come back to it maybe at the end as to yeah when we're doing the film roundup for 94. Not, this is our first 94. This is, um, this is. This is our second John Carpenter, and the third in his, I think what has now been called his Apocalypse Trilogy, which are basically all films, one way or another, about the end of the world. Or not? Yeah, it's uh... pretty loose themed <laughs> to me. Um, the first one being the thing, which we have discussed. See episode XX, <laughs> whichever episode we. Yeah, I, I don't think this has a lot in common with that, to be honest. No, and I have it. The second one being, I think it's Prince of Darkness, which, which I, haven't I also seen. haven't. Yeah. I haven't seen. Um, I've heard it's right. I had a post being a student. I had a poster of it in on my wall, so I'm very familiar with the poster, um, because that was the one that happened to be free at the time I went around the video shop to get posters <laughs> to put on my wall. Um, but this, yeah, has almost nothing in common. It's not the kind of, I suppose you could argue maybe a claustrophobic setting, but not really. I mean, the thing is kind of high, well, we'll get into it. Um, but the, uh, the, In the Mouth of Madness is the story of um, Sam Neill's insurance agent, um, who was asked to investigate the disappearance of Sutter Kane, the H.P. Lovecraft alike of this world, though, uh, frankly, he's Stephen King, I think, much more than H.P. Lovecraft. We can talk about that later. Yeah. Um, a, a, a hugely successful horror writer, anyway. So certainly, <laughs> that's where the parallels with H.P. Lovecraft end for a start, um, in his lifetime at least. Um, he has disappeared actually into one of his own fictional creations, the town called Hobbs End, uh, somewhere up on the uh, kind of New England way. I think I can't remember actually uh, whereabouts it is, but somewhere sort of um, uh, Vermont style um, place, Maine, Vermont. Uh, New England type place, I think. That may be me thinking about Stephen King. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think we, I think we do see it on a map, um, but it. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Doesn't really matter. Um, the uh, Sam Neill and the uh, Julie Julie Carmen's character, who uh, I've also forgotten the name of for this, but uh, Linda Styles. Linda Styles, um, who is the uh, publisher's representative. Um, 
have some surreal experiences in Hobbs End um, and bring forth the end of the world through the medium of Sutter Kane um, writing the insanity of the Elder Gods into reality with his disturbing insanity-causing books. Yeah, and I th- I think I do see a certain amount of moral panic here. <laughs> um, I mean, I think Carpenter's fa- yeah. it's fair enough. Parry. He was no stranger to people saying, your film is going to end civilization. <laughs> yeah, I felt like he was more... Yes, I didn't feel it was judgmental particularly, and that's probably, as you say, because Carpenter, particularly with The Thing was on the sharp end of some pretty uh, uh, harsh criticism about what is this book doing, what is this film doing to society. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, yes, I agree. There's a certain cynicism that I'm not sure is true, like the publishers proudly announce, you know, these books actually cause insanity. I, I don't know how much they'd caught that kind of thing, but maybe they did back in the 80s, or this was the 90s though, wasn't it? I, I well, don't know that that kind of controversy is courted particularly by publishing houses, uh, certainly not nowadays. Yeah, perhaps if it were a, sm- if it were a small publisher that needs the publicity. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm just remembering that it, certainly one of the things that was levelled against uh, role-playing games in the early and mid-80s was uh, that they would drive people mad. This is quite separate from the Satanism thing, because obviously, you know, you, you've got to a- appeal to the people who don't believe that demons are real as well. So so you scare them with the, it's going to make your kids mad. Well, this is the whole um, maze and, Mazes and Monsters thing, starring a very young Tom Hanks. I remember watching that. It's basically the story, heavily fictionalised story of... There was some kid that disappeared, and the private investigator decided that... The fact he played Dungeons and Dragons was a strong influence on mm-hmm. on why he disappeared, and it turned out to be nothing of the sort. But that really captured the imagination, and I think got rewritten as Maze and Monsters, where basically the Tom Hanks character loses any ability to tell fiction from reality. Which actually, now I mention it, sounds somewhat similar to what's going on here. So you may be right on the moral moral panic angle, or at least it's a parody of it, or the idea of it is being used here, whatever side... I I think the the other thing is, of course, uh, anybody who was in the target audience for this, people who were presumably at least a little bit familiar with horror films already, would be familiar with that kind of uh, thinking, that kind of rhetoric. And and the idea here is that this book is... uh, These... Books are so increasingly powerful that they drive people insane. Um, And the underlying theme here is that the books are, or at least the theme that I pick up, and it's not because the film dips heavily into surrealism and metaphor, and uh, perhaps it's not quite as surreal and metaphoric. It's certainly no kind of David Lynch film in that it's it's sort of explained, but Mm. perhaps not as clearly as it could be. But the suggestion is that the films, uh, the books are warping people's minds in a way that then prepares our reality to be replaced by the reality of the Elder Gods? Is that the the impression you got from it? Yeah, I, I don't think it's precisely defined, but that that's yeah. that's clearly the overall thing. That's the idea, isn't it? Um, and, well, overall, I, I mean, I like John Carpenter a lot. I adore hmm. the thing. I like the fog. Um, I've never watched this. Um... I was I was slightly surprised because that underlying theme. We'll talk about Lovecraft and the acting and the performances. I was very surprised because I have not that long read Alan Moore's 
one of his final works of comic uh, uh, comic fiction, um, Providence, which is his sort of homage to H.P. Lovecraft. And it's basically, I forget how, it's either six long comic episodes or 12 episodes, I think it might be 12 actually, basically exactly the same story as this that hp lovecraft mm-hmm. stories were um real and transmitted to him from sort of another reality and when his stories gained enough traction in popular fiction that would switch our reality to the reality of the elder gods i was surprised that is that's basically the same plot as what was going on here um and i must say much as i adore alan moore um he does particularly as he's got all they have a tendency to, to sort of wallow in his own cleverness, um, which I'm not disputing. Mm. Um, but sometimes he enjoys it more than other people. Um, and he takes 12 issues, long issues, to tell the same uh, kind of B-movie story as is told here in 90 minutes. So I did appreciate that this was quite a, a short film. Um, yeah, my, my reaction at the end of it was that I, I couldn't work out, uh, to, to use the catchphrase, whether it was a very good, bad film or a very bad, good film. I think that you said that to me. Uh, so, on there. I, I think that's the best summary uh, I have ever heard. So, so, so be a, a bit less glib about that. You know, is it a bad film that rises above what one might expect, or is it a good film that falls short of what one might expect? And either way, I yeah. felt it could have been so much better. I agree. I mean, the, the the subtext there is it's not as good as it could have been, whichever way you look at it. And I yeah. completely agree with you. There, there, there were bits that I loved. Yes. Um, there were bits that I didn't love. We'll we'll come on to this. But mm. I, I think particularly you, you've got this fundamental idea about um, realising that you are a fictional character. You know. Yes. It's funny, uh, coming on the back of Last Action Hero... Mm. Uh, and you know, hath not a fiction eyes, hath not a hath not a fiction hands, organs, dimensions, senses, affections, passions. If if you wrong us, shall we not revenge? You know, it's. I feel that you could have done such a lot with that, rather than saying, "Oh crap, I'm fictional!" Ha 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 ha! End the film. Yes, exactly. I mean, as, as we talked about last section here, where we discovered it, my moment of Arnie acting badly was his attempt to sort of <laughs> work out to show the weight of discovering your fictional character there i think it was uh, much more excusable because that's not really what the film was about here that the idea of being shaken to the very core of your character is kind of fundamental to the plot here or at least it, it's heavily in tune with it and and it could have done a lot more with it i i mm. completely agree um i i suppose you could argue at the end you know the final moment the final very meta moment when Sam Neill walks in to watch the film that he's starring in. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of, it, it works then in the sense that it just completely unhinges him and, you know, the film ends with him uh, utterly insane. I uh, I think part of the problem for me uh, is that I'm much more a science fiction fan than a horror fan. And I, I, yes. I tend to approach this kind of borderline story from a science fictional mindset. So I don't, I just, just want to say, here is this shocking idea. I want to say, yeah. here is this shocking idea. Now let us explore some of the implications of it. And well, to be honest, I think Last Action Hero does that a bit better. I agree. And speaking of, you know, influences here, that's probably one of the reasons we're both fans of H.P. Lovecraft's work is because in many ways he is at his best a science fiction author that just happens um, to have horror as a strong theme of it. At the Mountains of Madness 
I think yes. makes much more sense read as a science fiction story. Yes. I think all his, uh, his, his mythos cycle stuff, I'm not a fan of his dream. We'll talk about Lovecraft more later, but this yeah. film is, I mean, the, the, this film is purported to be strongly influenced by Lovecraft to the point where even the title of the film, uh, you know, In the Mouth of Madness, is strongly reminiscent of Lovecraft's work, particularly At the Mountains of Madness. Yeah, and most of the other book titles are modified Lovecraft titles. Most of, most of the actual supposed quotes from the books are modified Lovecraft's prose. Yes, and doesn't it open with a Lovecraft quote? I yeah, yeah maybe I'm but, mixing that up with the other films we've watched recently, but it, but I don't know. It it doesn't feel very Lovecraftian, but but I mean, it's got horror. It's got horrible things out there that drive you mad, as, as, opposed, as opposed as opposed as opposed to Satan wants your soul, which is the other primary strain of supernatural it is, horror. And it has, as you say, drive you mad. Insanity is a strong theme in this, as it is with. Uh, Lovecraft's work, uh, but well, the thing is, to me, the old ones do not rely on mere pitiful humans to to believe the right thing to let them back in. They come back in when the stars are right, and there is naff all that humans can do to make that happen <laughs> sooner or later. Yes, I agree with it. If if humans are used, you know, as cults or whatever, they're used as tools to be disposed of, and you could argue as I was trying to sort of argue off air, that here the humans are being used as tool. You know, this book is written to drive them insane for one purpose, which is to mm. uh, allow the Elder Gods back in. But although I made that argument, that's more me sitting on the fence, because frankly, what this feels like is um, a Lovecraft story written by Stephen King. Uh, because Stephen King mm. does much more... His, his, his villains... Um, I like Stephen King, don't get me wrong, but his villains are much more human and much more kind of relatable and are much more uh, flawed in similar ways and are motivated by, you know, similar emotions to human beings, mm. as seems to be the case here. Um, whereas Lovecraft, the, the, the reason I love Lovecraft's entities is they are unknowable, unfathomable. You don't all you've got to do with them is get out of the way because they, mm. they're coming whether you like it or not, as you say. Uh, the the um, model I very often use is we, we are the mice who are exploring the Combine Harvester. We have absolutely no <laughs> idea when or why it's going to start up, you know, and, and the guy running the Harvester doesn't doesn't even notice that we're there. Yeah, exactly. He, but he, yes, it wouldn't even affect his... Uh, Yes, he, he he would if if he treated you at all in any noticeable, it would be to try and get rid of you in a vaguely irritable way. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't even respect you enough to particularly show you much <laughs> in the way of malice or anger. And that's how I feel the the old god the the older gods were in Lovecraft's work. But yes, in Stephen King's fiction, um, the 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 villains are much more. Um, motivated in a, in a way yes in a more satanistic way they're interested in corrupting humanity um which is kind of there seems to be an interest in that here even if it's a self-interested thing mm. um and there are overtones of religion which you you don't often get in in lovecraft's work um, i would say i think he i think lovecraft regards religion as basically irrelevant to what he's dealing yeah. with yeah so yeah uh th thinking about the acting for a minute i mean I think Sam Neill actually didn't leave much of an impression on me at all, which is perhaps odd. Sam Neill, I uh, I think, is an amazing actor. Mm, I've, I've um, seen him in other things. 
But... I I first encountered him in uh, Damien Omen Three, where he's, he's very charismatic in that. But mm. he's he's good in. What, is he in? Is it Sam Neill in Hunt for Red October? No, that's Alan. Uh, uh, he is uh, Captain Borodin. Oh, there we go. I knew he was in it. So I was I was getting confused with who. Um, I've recently seen him in Hulk, uh, the Hunt for the Wilder People, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, I'd strongly recommend that. Doctor Grant um, and Jurassic Park, a couple of years before this. Of course, Jurassic, and that was before this, which is interesting. Doc, Doctor, um, we're in Event Horizon. We'll probably talk about that at some point. They probably won't get an episode to itself. Uh, I agree. Uh, so he's clearly a good actor, uh, and we've seen him in yes. other things. He he's been. I think performs more to my taste in, uh, but here just kind of maybe because he's the audience self-insert as well. He he comes over as a bit flat a lot of the time. It's a, it's a, it's a difficult um, character in the sense that he's not a particularly pleasant character. Um, I mean, he's not desperately unpleasant either. He's just sort of low-level unpleasant. <laughs> um, uh, but, he, you know, you often get around that by being charming, and it doesn't really portray a sense of that here or anything. He's not really a character. You're desperate to plumb the depths of his mental problems in the first place. Uh, of of course, the, here, but, um, the, this film does have the get-out-of-everything card in that, you can say, because he's a fictional character. You see, that, that just goes to show. <laughs> um, and, and I think that would be even more true of uh, Styles, Julie Carmen. She's a. Uh, uh, I, I mean, I think there. She, there she's called some... on to be all over the place, basically. Whatever the yeah, script needs her to she do. Does not, she does not really have a set personality. She's kind of a uh, an object of lust, and she's flirtatious, and then she's panicky, and then she's um, uh, she's gullible, and then she's. Uh, um, also uh, sceptical basically as you say whatever Sam Neill's character needs as a foil um, mm. is what she is so it's hard to think of her as a character particularly and to be fair I think the women are treated reasonably badly here anyway I mean what, what else have we got um, a murderess yeah <laughs> uh, is that it I think that's creepy children some of whom are female yeah that's true as well creepy children a murderess and a uh yeah a, a, a sort of yeah devoid of, of of a coherent personality character who just gets sort of disposed of relatively quickly and then it's, it's not that she's never mentioned again but she's clearly not important <laughs> to mm. the plot so i don't know about her performance either because it's, it's hard to tie a performance together really. yeah i i got the feeling she was doing a lot with a quite tough script i don't yeah. know if that's true but that was the impression i got and, and of course, our old friend Jürgen Prochnow. Um, yes, very different here to his um, his character in Das Boat. Well, which is where we encountered yes, him. but I mean, one of the things I like about him in Das Boat is that he is being fanatical in the cause of keeping his crew alive. Yes, and here he is, he is gorgeously messianic. <laughs> he's uh, he's chewing some scenery, isn't he? And and, and seems to be enjoying it. Um, yeah. I, I will admit I haven't seen a lot of his uh, work. I mean, basically these two things, and um, one that I re I really hope we will never do take seriously on on this podcast: the Wing Commander film. 
Oh, come on. I have very fond memories of that game. The film I've never seen because I've got very fond memories of the game. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there is a bit in that where they are running silent to avoid the sensors of, of the enemy ships. And he's just there in the background of the scene. You can see him thinking, think about the money, Jürgen. Think about the money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Poor Jürgen. Um, I mean, here he is. He's the right level of messianic. I, mm. Does he does he sell that he's a, a, a kind of genius author been taken over by the Elder Gods? I suppose he does, yeah. I mean, well, that's what he's supposed to do. I, when we meet him, he's realising that he was never a genius because they were writing through him all along. Yes, that's a disappointing finding as a writer. But he sells that. Um, aside from our lit, we have, um, of course, Charlton Heston... Randomly. Mm. I don't know what to say about Charlton Heston's performance other than he performs in this film. Yeah, I, I, he didn't really leap out at me. Um, the the guy who did, I, I thought at first might be a director cameo or something, is um, the guy who is clearly in charge at the asylum with, with the wild yes. hair and the rest of it, which is uh, John Glover, I believe. Well, he's in... Uh, now, what's he in? I, I, he's very familiar to he's me. He's been in a bunch of stuff. Yes. He, he's certainly a familiar face for me, though he's much younger here than I'm more familiar with. Um, oh, I'm trying to think, because I did look him up and I was like, ah, oh, yes, that's where I saw him in. But he does make a good impression here as um, uh, a, a sort of doctor of dubious morals, um, but but nicely done too. We also have Security Guard 1 and 2 who also leave quite an impression <laughs> or have an impression left upon them. Mm. Um, then we have the, the fantastic line, sorry about your testicles. Um, <laughs> which I, I, I have to enjoy on many levels. Ooh. An, in, an early, I hadn't spotted this earlier, an early role for Hayden Christensen as the paper boy. Um, one may say his best performance. Sorry, Hayden, that's that you again. I'm sure you had your directorial problems. I think I spotted John Carpenter in one of the adjacent rooms to Sam Neill's um, asylum, but I haven't checked that. But I think there was a director directorial cameo here. Someone who looked very like John Carpenter um, yeah. in adjacent asylum. I liked the framing device. I must say, of this film, uh, I enjoyed. Mm. Um, well, one because it gave us David Warner who I am never unhappy to see in any film, whether Fair. he's dialing it in or whether he's he's enjoying himself or whether he's not. I, I just he, he just has that nice. splendid face. He does, and his voice, and just, it, it works. Um, yeah, I enjoy the sort of asylum. There was a touch of, um, in fact, there are a number of things in this. One of my favourite horror parodies is the, the Garth Marenghi <laughs> um, Dark mm. Place um, and certainly the opening looks very like Dark Place Hospital to me um, and some of the writing um, it's more influenced by Lovecraft, um, I know, but sounds a lot like Dar Garth Marenghi's um, <laughs> I'm one of the few people you'll have met who's written more books than he's read <laughs> 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 anyway, sorry, um, I will not get onto the Garth Marenghi front um, uh, so I'm... performances were I I don't even want to say solid particularly. They were they were okay. I mean they they did. No, no, nobody's leaping out and exceeding their pass and saying, "Gosh, wow, I'm going to win an Oscar for this." Uh, no, uh, no, exactly. As you say, John Glover's the one who sort of exceeds beyond what he probably needs to, and none of the others quite do. I think that's fair. Oh, there was one scene that stood out to me, which is the one where we have a 
So if we're talking about um, as we, if we're moving on performances, which I just made us do, yeah. um, that's the one where they are in the diner, to, and in the background we've got the the knowledge that there is a man approaching them with an axe, but mm. they just carry on conversing normally. Yeah, it's just, ni- it's nicely done. It is. There's something about the framing of that scene that is really. Um, Tense and disturbing. Uh, I, I would have preferred it though, because they do. When he hits the glass, they cut away, and I would have liked to see that as one long shot, including him smashing through the glass mm. and then reacting to it. Um, but otherwise, that was a that was a a um, a, a moment that stood out for me. Uh, any other, so I like the framing device. I like that moment. Um, uh, all right, I, I fell in love with the Cathedral of the Transfiguration. <laughs> uh, the black, the black church. This, this yes. is an actual church. I mean, they they had to put up the extra uh, imagery. On there's one extra bit on the outside. Obviously, the inside's filmed separately. Uh, right. Conveniently, this is this is actually in suburban Toronto. Uh, okay, is it, that where it, the film was? Shot? Yeah, the, this was all done. I mean, there's um, Main Street Unionville, which is basically the Hobbs End town set, mm. is uh, a sort of historical route in Markham, Ontario. Which is where where, the, where all this is happening. Okay. Uh, Cathedral of the Transfiguration uh, was at the time surrounded by farmland, the way you see it now. Uh, though, if you look at it on uh, Google Maps now, they're, they're building uh, horrible four-story housing blocks all around it. But yeah. But at the time, it was much more out in the out in the birds. So basically, all, all you need to do is be a little careful about your camera angle. You can you can make it look as if it's in the middle of nowhere, which is great. <laughs> yes, which is it does effectively. Yes, that is. Yes, architecturally, that's a, a very exciting church. Um, it's nicely done. Uh, well, yeah, it's, being uh, nicely done, nicely used. Slovak Greek Catholic um, gives it that slightly weird feel, which is obviously what you want here. Well, if we move on from kind of cinematography and see, how, how did you feel about the effects in this film? Because you know, the thing had some films that we, uh, some effects that we both. Um, uh, uh, very impressed by some physical effects. The, the, yeah. mm. I maybe this is just me, but I'm starting to think I like Carpenter despite the effects. Um, the thing I think they added to the story they showed this is the sort of weird thing that's going on uh, here. Yeah. I actually found they distracted from it. I, I agree, I, and again, that, uh, to me, if we're talking about Lovecraft, which again will come on to, I suspect, relatively shortly, but. He was a master at um, suggesting, not showing. Mm. Uh, the minute you show the rubbery latex dripping in Swarfiga or whatever, it just loses a lot, a very great deal. You it's know, even it's very well is... done, but yeah, yeah. Uh, again, I'm a science fiction fan more than I am a horror fan, so that may help. I mean, I'm, I'm not really there for the gore or no. the creature or the whatever. Well, I think for the thing, it works because the horror is the creature that it is. The, the very physicality of it is terrifying. That, that it's more when you're dealing about creatures where the the actual horror comes from their idea or their concepts. Mm. Then, if you show their actual forms, and I, again, it was also we have this like I, I think it's described as a twenty-four foot wall of creatures that was pushed along by mm. um, a, a whole group of crew um, towards the end. I just. Um, when you move over from the Elder Gods in the shadows manipulating reality to this slavering wall of kind of latex demons uh, running after Sam Neill as he tries to... I I agree. I feel it loses Mm. something. 
And and um, similarly, well, the, actually, um, that, there's a thing in uh, I think it's Stephen King's autobiography, "Come Writing Thing," which I've forgotten the name of. Is it Dance Macabre? Dance Macabre. That yes, sorry. Um, in, in which he's saying the reveal is always a letdown. Yeah. Um, yes, he has some uh, very good. Well, he he breaks so, down. Yeah, you, our, you you see the seven foot monster. And you think, well, there's part of you always thinking, phew, at least it wasn't a 70-foot monster. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I think we had a similar... Someone said something similar. In fact, it may have been John Carpenter said something about similar about Alien. For all its terror, ultimately, it was a man in a suit. And you could tell that in a few shots, and that diminished a lot from it. But but I agree. I mean, Stephen King does a great breakdown of the difference between horror and... Um, it, it talks about gore. I, I, forget his defini- I forget his definitions, but they are... He he shows an understanding of it, which uh, John Carpenter probably has. Just sometimes you have got to play your hand, and it doesn't quite work for hmm. me here. Um, Bits of it do, but yeah, I mean that that whole sequence with Mrs. What is it, Pickman? Yeah, which again, another direct Lovecraft reference. Um, yeah, it just fell. A bit I mean, it, for it's me. a it's a technically competent sequence, but. It left me cold because it wasn't part of the film I was interested in watching. Yeah, which I mean, it you know, feels the, the, like it's an intrusion from another film. Yeah, if I were uh, a more, a more conventionally orientated horror fan, I might well feel differently. And you know, a lot of people love this and, and don't see that dissonance, as far as I can see. So, you know, I'm, I'm not saying this is any sort of absolute judgment. It's the interaction of film and viewer. But, well, so, I, yeah. yes, I, I agree. What works better for me? And again, we've touched on this, but what I would perhaps have liked to see explored a bit more deeply and what could have elevated this from, yeah, a bad good film or a good bad film. You know, there's a moment where we have one of the characters, one of the villagers, and he's putting the shotgun in his mouth and um, Sam Neill says, don't do it. And he says, I have to. He's written me this way. Mm. And I just, that, that, that does gets work, to yes. the, horror, the horror of it to me. And I would like to see more... Again, I'm running the last action hero danger of uh, <laughs> criticising it for not being the film I wanted it to be. But I think, unlike well, last action hero, where I was probably a bit unfair because I wanted a quite a different film, he uh, just needed a little nudge, I suppose. I, it just felt like that's what it was reaching for. And it yeah, I, I think even it. people who liked it at the time did feel it was it was falling a bit short of what it could have been, given the basic concept and script and so on. Yes. So. Well, talking as we've been talking around sort of Hobbs End a bit. Um, Quite a I, <laughs> I, I'm not a fan of surrealism, particularly in cinema. I, I appreciate David Lynch as a fantastic filmmaker, but I don't, I don't like when cause and effect breaks down. It, it can, I mean, sometimes I don't like it because it genuinely disturbs me in a way a lot of things can't, and I, in a way that I don't particularly want to visit mentally and that's probably the intention of the filmmaker but sometimes I just find it irritating and I think I'm more on the irritation I I wasn't disturbed so much as vaguely annoyed in that I I felt what it was getting at and here it's not desperately surreal and I'm frankly not that hard to follow or understand Mm. I didn't think but I still found it uh, irritating once I knew like oh we're in Surrealsville now then I, I lose interest Quite quite well, early on in that sort of thing. I I think at that point essentially you you have to stop putting a story together. Yeah, and yeah. You, and essentially you say, well, this doesn't really matter. These characters don't matter. What are you even doing here? 
Exactly. And then basically, yes, it pulls me out of the story. I'm not sort of in the character thinking, oh, what's going on? I'm so confused. This is terrifying. I'm outside thinking, oh, I'm just going to see a series of images. I'm going to see him repeatedly drive out of the village and then drive back in again and not understand why. And just mm. it loses something for me that... And again, I understand why it had to be. You know, that's kind of the core of the story is the breakdown of reality, I guess, or at least the breakdown of or the, the conflation of the breaking down of reality with insanity. Well, that's the other thing. I mean, I, I don't know where this idea comes from, the the idea that basically whatever is most widely believed becomes the consensus reality. Yes. Um, I mean, obviously, later you would see it in Mage of the Ascension, but again, obviously, they, they didn't uh, originate it. I think uh, I first encountered it in a Neil Gaiman's Sandman. He does a story hmm. called Dream of a Thousand Cats, where basically if enough cats all have the same dream at once, they can warp reality. But it has been visited, yeah, a number of times. Um, and maybe because of Lovecraft's association with the Dreamlands, it's associated with him in some way. Mm. But it's 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 visited enough to feel a bit like a trope now, I think. I think but it was but I, I think that's part of the problem, because what what we get in this film is, gosh, reality could be created by belief, and that would be terrible, because this. Yeah. And it, it, it's it's like the the thing you get when a, when a well-respected literary author decides to write science fiction, because yeah. this stuff must be easy, <laughs> and, yeah. and comes up with an idea that was old hat 50 years ago, but rather than developing the idea, all they do is say, gosh, wow, here's this idea I've had. Yes, and, and the science fiction the fans sl- section of the bookshop. Yeah, and, and the science fiction fans say, "Yeah, and yeah, because <laughs> yeah. it's the and that's important." Well, that's it. I mean, there are very few new ideas under the sun. Um, I'm sure there are some still out there unplumbed, but it, it's all in the execution. Um, and uh, so, how does this affect your characters, your world? Yes, how, exactly. How it, yeah, and ultimately, we don't care that much about Sam Neill, or I didn't desperately. I didn't care about any of the characters in it particularly, and because of that, it makes it a less of a less of an interesting story all round. That, that, I, th- I think that probably is a good point. As you say, how does it affect your characters? If you're not interested in the characters and don't have any sympathy for them, then your story's a bit flat already, and I think that might be one of the hearts of my problem with uh, Mouth of Madness. I just... I, I wasn't... I wasn't... I didn't really care when it comes right down to it. Mm. There are also some inconsistencies, um, I mean, possibly deliberately, but you know, if the entire point of of the exercise is that Trent is supposed to take the forbidden knowledge out to the world, yes. then why are they trying to keep him in the town? Yeah, and and if he's the vessel that has to do it and, and they, they doesn't really have that power outside, how is the manuscript repeatedly getting to him? Mm-hmm. And if they have that sort of power, why do they need him to do it? Or is the manuscript... Uh, yeah, but there's things that don't quite make sense with I, it. I, I think particularly towards the end, it gets perhaps submerged in, gosh, we've got some really lovely imagery here. Yeah. Yes, and it doesn't... The, 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 like, if you left six months ago and you just delivered the manuscript already and all that. It was just like, well, so what is this? Is this him remembering that happening? Or is this another reality that's folded in? Or is it just reality's breaking down? And ultimately, if I was really invested, I would have been 
interested in exploring those ideas in like with the thing i'm like well this is when he got infected and he's got tears mm. in his clothes and i read blogs and i'm interested in it i just i wouldn't i wouldn't really care he <laughs> um mm. I'm, I'm afraid I, I i damn it i suppose damning it with faint praise because i think this the summary is exactly what you said um it's either a good bad film or a bad good film but it's not a good good film regardless yeah so i mean if we're talking about masterpieces i i would have to say no but i did enjoy it so you know yeah same I, i'm glad i watched it and yes i'm feeling like i'm, I'm being it's something i've i've wanted to watch for a little while um we've touched upon why it's not lovecraft and why it's uh why it's more stephen kring or why it doesn't feel like it to us um but uh, do, do we want to talk about why we picked this film particularly rather than any other for 94? Well, I, I think that may answer itself when we talk about what else did well in 94. <laughs> uh, so, uh, in the Oscars, it's Forrest Gump. And yeah. I remember being confused at the time by why Forrest Gump had done so well. And then I watched, because I kept hearing about it, and then I watched it and remained confused <laughs> as to why it did so well. I mean, apparently some decent performances and so on, but it, it's just really not my sort of thing, uh, particularly with the... Um, I mean, all right, late, later, it's not the film's fault that, that it got taken up as, as a cultural touchstone by uh, right-wing Americans, but it was very easy for it to do that. It was. That Was was that Robert Zemeckis? Uh, I'll back to the future. Um Yeah. It was, yeah. I remember feeling vaguely disappointed because it was—it almost felt like it was him trying to grow up in the way that Spielberg had, mm. um, and I didn't—I didn't really feel like it. You know, it doesn't hold a candle to Schindler's List, for instance. Not that it's trying mm. to, but perhaps that's a very—that is a very unfair comparison. But mm. yeah, okay. So that Forrest Gump swept the board at the Oscars. Yeah. Um, though, let's see. Uh, Blue Sky. Don't got some minor have any memory of that the name rings a bell but I don't know what it is particularly uh, Jessica Lange, Tommy Lee Jones um, basically drama about uh, nuclear cover up oh ok All right. uh, no, which not... I've, I've not seen uh, The Lion King which we'll come back to of course uh, Pulp Fiction got, got a nod yeah well we we, we did well talk about possibly here. doing Pulp Fiction, but I, but I, I think I, Pulp Fiction is a better film but I we did Reservoir Dogs not very long ago and I remain of the conviction Reservoir Dogs is the better of the two films. That may be an unpopular... Hmm. I, well, for me, it doesn't have the core dynamic. Uh, yeah, that I, I orange... think... Yeah, that, that orange-white relationship. Yes, exactly. And that's what works for me in Reservoir Dogs that isn't really present in Pulp Fiction. Don't get me wrong, if Pulp Fiction is on... I would probably watch it to the end. It's one of those, if I caught it on the TV, I'd watch it to the end. It's extremely enjoyable. Well, I, I have watched it uh, for the first time. I, uh, there'll be a written review on my blog by the time this comes out, or okay. sometime anyway. Um, and yeah, I agree. Because it doesn't have that centre, it, it's these different stories, and also it, it's a lot of choppy scenes. You know, here, Here's yeah. the bit where we get Samuel L. M. F. Jackson <laughs> yes, yes, doing a wonderful job. I mean, I love him in that. He's, he's um, very good. We have Tim Roth again, who's who's great in, in a relatively minor role. But you know, Bruce Willis. Again. So that yeah, here is that, and then here here is the bit where I'm going to be violent, and here is the bit where I'm going to be shocking, and they never they never hold together for me. Uh, no, and it, it doesn't quite have the for me what I associate. I've said a few times Tarantino with is tension. He's phenomenal at ratcheting up the tension. Pulp Fiction doesn't do except 
perhaps. Well, having it out of order doesn't help in that. I mean, it's good for other things, but it doesn't help the narrative through tension line. Uh, I do. I. I mean, I probably think it is a masterpiece. I was blown away by it at the cinema when I watched it, Um, but uh, I felt it was treading similar ground and. I'd rather have talked about Reservoir Dogs, but, but I, yeah. I like Puzzle One. Uh, that, that's not what, is, what we're here to talk about anyway. No, anyway, yes. Uh, so, in, in the top ten at the box office, um, we've got Clear and Present Danger. Jack Ryan solves the drug problem by, by shooting people. Yeah, shouting at presidents, yeah, I remember that one, yeah. Uh, interview with the Vampire, which I, th- I feel was summed up by, by the uh, line from the film, Oh, Louis, all you do is whine. <laughs> exactly. If they put that at the beginning of the film, why wouldn't I just sit through the rest of it? Um, I, did, I did enjoy it, um, though it got me reading Anne Rice, which I ultimately greatly resented. So. <laughs> I, I read those, and I read one or two others of hers uh, before she got God. Um, yeah. And I quite enjoyed them, but they, they never grabbed me the way they clearly did a lot of people. Uh, so, number eight for Weddings and a Funeral... Uh, which, as Gavin was already thought about, because it's certainly been influential. It has, and it's very. I, I, uh, the, or, or uh, apart from anything else, Hugh Grant was thinking about giving up acting when he got offered this part. So, have you seen? Yeah, I don't think you've seen it, have you, Roger? I've not. No, it, it's certainly worth a while. Maybe we will revisit it sometime. It's it's very good. Um, again, we're not here to answer whether it's a masterpiece or not. But I, uh, for some reason, it didn't. Uh, maybe because I'm quite familiar with it, I didn't feel desperate to watch it again or revisit it mm. yet. But it, it is a very good film. So, number seven, Dumb and Dumber. Uh, Farrelly Brothers' first direction, I believe. Uh, it's probably their best. Um, I I just have such a visceral objection to, it's great to be stupid! Yeah, it really is. the begin- And it, that is the... It's the least kicking down one of those films I think and that's <laughs> that's mm. depressing when it's called Dumb and Dumber um, uh, but it's it's funny, genuinely funny but yeah yeah. So number six, The Flintstones, the live action uh, remake that nobody asked for though apparently a lot of people went to see it, I I, it I've never met anybody who did but <laughs> yeah well I've certainly not seen it it, it made a lot of money well, there was a sequel, I gather. Um, anyway, yeah, not for <laughs> us. And I probably, to be fair, not a masterpiece. If I want to watch the Flintstones, I'll watch the original cartoon. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, number five, Speed, which, gotta say, compared with some of the other stuff here, is not terrible. Uh, Speed's not bad. Is it? It's it's in the Die Hard realms of a good action film. Um, it's it's not up with Die Hard, but yeah, it's not up with Die Hard. I agree. In fact, it is. I, I suspect. Maybe I've heard this, but it probably was pitched as Die Hard on a bus or mm-hmm. something like that, Which because there are a lot of Die Hard but uh, on a boat or whatever. But... Yeah, but I, I enjoyed it. Um, yeah. Number four, The Mask, which I've, I've seen, but it was a long time ago. Yeah, it's it's uh, Jim Carrey's phenomenally talented uh, and fascinating, uh, and it's a good one of his. Yeah, when, when he doesn't do comedy, I'm much more willing to watch him. He's, he's very good. He's phenomenally good. There's a great documentary of him in uh, talking about um, when he played Andy Kaufman. Um, is it Man on the Moon? I can't remember if that's the film or the documentary. But he is. There's not an ounce of comedy in him there, and he's mm. clearly extremely intelligent, as most good comedians are, um, and deeply troubled. 
which is fascinating. As many good comedians As seem many to be. Comedians are exactly. Uh, so number three, uh, something we can disagree on a bit: True Lies. I think. I don't know we, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't. I don't love it. Uh, no. I mean, if if you look at it in the in the arc of Arnie films, then it's pretty good. If, yeah. But though, I mean, it's come down a, a bit after. after well, it's, it's, it's up again after Last Action Hero, but it's not Terminator 2 and it's not, um, uh. Terminator 1. No, the, the one on Mars. Oh my goodness, Total Recall. That yeah, it's not that. Film. I uh, agree. Um, I, but in a way, you know. Uh, if, you uh, if you look at it as a Cameron film, it's a huge come down. <laughs> it is. I, I suppose if you ignore the trajectories around mm. it, I still think it's a good film. Um, yeah, I, I saw I, it I more or less when it when it was released. So I, I, I was seeing it in that context. In it, being very Bill Paxton. Yeah, anything with Bill Paxton becomes better. Exactly, exactly. Um, and Jamie Lee, is it Jamie Lee Curtis? Yeah, uh, I think yeah. so. Uh, good film, but I I'm not going to argue it's a masterpiece. But yeah, not non terrible. Uh, number two, Forrest Gump. We just yeah. talked about, and at number one, The Lion King. Which I assume you, having children, have seen 16 million times. I have. It's weird. The Lion King is... I Genuinely, I, I'm not anti-Disney films. I mean, I, I was about to say I'm not anti-Disney then, but it's hard to be a human <laughs> and not <laughs> have some misgivings about the corporation of Disney. Um, but I'm not... The, the films, I like the songs. It's very well done. They did a, a kind of a, a weird CGI remake, which is basically effectively so realistic photorealistic that's effectively live action mm -hmm. but the thing is with cartoons you can humanize your lions and make them look interesting when it's actually a photorealistic lion singing um the circle of life it just looks weird mm. <laughs> and so i i don't know quite what the point of that was other than to make disney a lot of money but i suppose that's the point of most things on the planet at the minute so yeah, uh, but so so we we went through these lists and we went through uh, David Thompson and we thought, you know, actually this is the one we want to watch. Yes, I mean there are a few other sort of uh, memorable uh, bubbly gun. The Shawshank Redemption. Oh, I don't know. It feels a bit problematic to me nowadays. I don't know how well it has aged. Um, I enjoyed it a lot at the time. Um, yeah, I mean th there are some we haven't seen before that we that we've leapt into and thought, yeah, this is going to be fun. Yeah. Or at least it could potentially be fun. And this, this, there, there was nothing here that sparked joy, put it that way. No. No, I agree. The other one we did discuss, Ed Wood, of course. But, mm. um, uh, I don't know. For me, Johnny Depp is somewhat problematic now. Um, and I feel like we discussed Ed Wood, um, uh, and have some love for him already. I'm not sure that would increase after seeing the film, Edward, but, mm. but. I think, to be fair, when the film came out, he was not widely known about. I mean, quite a few people had heard about Plan 9, but they may not have known much about the rest of his career. So, yeah, fair yes, enough. But, but that information is much more readily available now if you're, if you're interested. So. Yes, and it may have been influential on us in the sense that the reason we looked at Plan 9 was because it's canonically the, the worst film of all time, which really know, no isn't. one seriously believes that it is. Uh, we certainly don't. But it is a, it's a phenomenally good film. I, I've seen Future World. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, there we are. That will be In the Mouth of Madness. Did I ever tell you my favourite colour was blue? That is a good scene, actually. I must say, that was a very good scene. It's a very effective scene. Um, 
Wow, you distract me now. Well, there we are. I don't <laughs> want to end the podcast, but um, that's how he wrote me. Oh,